Welcome to Tea Talk with Stephanie, Siren, and Megan Holman. Good morning. And, uh, Megan, what so are you technically drinking? Technically, it's afternoon right now. <laughs> That's true. We're pre-recording because I happen to be on the East Coast right now. And so I still wanted to be able to do my Tea Talk. I didn't want to miss it. So we're recording the day before. And um, I'm drinking a Diet Coke because I need to stay awake because we're in different time zones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jet lag is real. Um, I have, it's like uh, cran, Diet Cran grape juice and water. Nice. That's like my Nice. Yeah, my I have water too. too. I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking water too just to make sure I'm hydrated because that's also a thing when you're traveling. Yeah, um, that's my go-to. I wanted to uh, start our talk with um, a really good self-hug right now, everyone. Like, let's just get that one happening first before we talk about anything heavy. Breathe deep with me and hold it for three, two, one. Let's go. Feel yourself get more comfortable and less stressed in your body, opening, receiving, feeling softer, much better. All right, there we go. Um, so today we are doing a second part, correct? Oh, yeah, a couple weeks ago we talked about um, childhood trauma and we wanted to go into like how to recognize trauma in children and and how to support them and, and give them the like help and safety that they need, but we ran out of time. So we decided we'll do a part two. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And um, on this part two, we're going to walk you through some practical approaches uh, to dealing with um, childhood trauma and, and the behaviors that happen with uh, children who have trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of our kiddos have it now, even just from the pandemic. I mean, that alone caused so much trauma and anxiety in our littles and our teenagers and even our young adults. And they'll grab for whatever control they can and whatever way they can find to grab it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so what we're going to do is since Megan and I are both survivors of childhood trauma, um, we also added in what we would have maybe liked to have received from the adults in our lives, what could have been the um, solution mm -hmm. to our emotional needs being met in um, a practical way, understanding that yes, we, we had trauma, yes, this has happened, but that children can't regulate their own emotions. And so, especially in this fast paced world with so much technology around us all the time, Mm -hmm. which overstates, creates energetic uh, uh, chaos. And um, for a little system, that's a lot. 
and um, so a lot of their learning is on screens now too yeah it is it's a lot for humans like we come from nature we need to be in nature we need to be a part of nature and so when we're isolated and in that techie world, we're not getting some essential things that we need from other birds. And so that's going to cause a more frazzled system mm -hmm. on top of whatever trauma your child might be having. There are many issues that cause childhood trauma, be it divorce, abuse, verbal, emotional, physical sexual abuse, mm -hmm. uh, dysfunctional family uh, units, mm -hmm. uh, dysfunctional uh, family cycles that happen with the parent, uh, parents' parents and the child even sees it. You know, all of these things create from being bullied at school, mm -hmm. uh, other things that might happen at school, other things that might happen extracurricular in the family. Absent uh, parents, chronic illnesses or life-threatening illnesses. Um, yeah, cancer. Just like, like no regulation, like continual change. Ah, uh, yes. Here, yeah. Lots of moving, maybe things that are out of everybody's control. Mm -hmm. These also cause a child to feel very frazzled, and they don't usually have the words to to use to tell us. So what they normally would do is act out or shut down. Mm -hmm. And so there are a number of behaviors that you might see in your child that you feel aren't in the norm for them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe seem like might be a red flag. And these are all good reasons to go to a therapist. It doesn't hurt to just, you know, get a little check-in if you feel like there might be something that needs to happen and in fact um i have um a child on the spectrum mm -hmm. and uh who has developmental delays and um one of the resources that i used for this because she it's not that she was nonverbal; she had words but she didn't have words for what she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And she also had a very hard time understanding emotions from others. Um, and so because of that, not only did we have a couple of therapists, um, but we also had a social coach to teach her about others' emotions and how to read them. And something I learned during those years of understanding my child's uh, view of the world and how she processes um, I also learned that <clears throat> I need to stay calm and be the calm for her storm. Mm -hmm. Because when she was getting frustrated, there was nowhere for her to express that at that moment, but in a tantrum mm -hmm. or to shut down and act out. Um, and so it was very helpful for one of the coaches to tell me, when she's doing this, stay calm. Mm -hmm. Keep your voice down and calm. Don't yell because a child will match your energy or they will tower. They won't understand what you're trying to get them to do or how to help them if you're raising your voice. Well, and, and just from personal experience, because I remember 
um, the the uh, the reactions of adults around me to things that happened did have a huge impact on me. And the ones that were able to stay calm and centered and and provide that eye of the storm were the ones that I gravitated to and trusted the most. The ones that that reacted very emotionally or out of control or or aggressively like that was just as threatening as what was going on inside so then it was you know danger in and out and what do you do with that even adults have a hard time processing and figuring out how to get their themselves through that and they've got a lifetime of experience on on our children you know so mm -hmm. i agree um, you know, having a calm adult would have made a world of difference for myself as a child mm -hmm. because I came from a background of two parents who were not, uh, they didn't know how to regulate their nervous system, mm -hmm. <laughs> excuse me, at all. Yeah. And so they were very um, reactive and reactive. And so I learned as a small child that the adults weren't safe because they didn't know how to even handle their own reactions to things. Mm -hmm. And so that can cause a parenting role in a child. And when we do that, a child will learn, oh, my voice doesn't matter. I need to take care of others. Mm -hmm. I have no value except for pleasing these people. I'll yeah. be the peacekeeper and the people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And when that happens to a child, like they find that role and they hold on to that. And that can create some major, major problems later in life, like dependency, oh, yeah. eating disorders, chronic illnesses, um, no sense of self really. There's a lot of things that that can end up doing. And that's just one of many examples, um, you know, but definitely as a child, I felt that. And so I became what a lot of people called dramatic. And the drama was, I thought that's how you're supposed to act. I thought that's what's expected. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'll be like this because this is what the adults do in my life. Yeah, that's so, the only way you see it being handled, then that's the only way you know how to process it yourself. I think that's one thing that's often forgotten is our kids watch us so, like, closely. Closely everything they're little sponges and like the the best way for us to teach them and guide them through things is to learn to do it ourselves and and show them this is how we do it when this happens instead mm -hmm. of you know if you're criticizing them and coming down on them all the time and not giving them a replacement then all they're learning and all they're hearing is is i'm bad and it's my fault and right. there's something wrong with me. Because, like, I do that with my kids. You know, I'll point out, um, you know, hey, th this wasn't a great way to handle it. You know, because, you know, look, look at these results. So next time, let's do it this way. Because how would you feel being treated this way versus this way? Which would you want? And, and you know, the always are like, I'd, I'd want that one. I was like, okay, if that's what you want, then that's how what you have to do for others as well. So, um, 
And and you, it, it takes time. I mean, they do not get it perfectly on the first try. They're kids. They're learning. You, you know, I know I don't get things perfectly on the first time. But like consistently reinforcing and giving them replacement behaviors is what I've seen make a lot of improvement in in pretty significant amounts of time. And 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 it is like you do have to stay calm and like I'll I'll be firm with them sometimes. I'm just like, hey. Uh uh, that was dangerous, or hey, that was harmful. You know, you can't Ab do absolutely. that. But then we sit down and have conversations about it, and go, "Here's the reason why." You mm -hmm. know, what, what was your thought process? Here was mine. What were you thinking that led you to these reactions to these choices? And then now let's look at the aftermath. What happened because we handled it that way? What could have happened if it had escalated? You know, so and it like. And my kids, I, I have, you know, two kiddos on the on the spectrum and all three of them are ADHD, so they're highly logical. <laughs> so I have to, you know, I have to map these things out for them so that they have all the information and they can step back and see the big picture and go, oh, okay, you know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And, like, reasoning with them is so uh, essential, especially with, this new group of kids coming up in this world I mean they're much more um, sensitive to others emotions and they're much more in tune vibrationally and so we need to reason with them we need to bring the reasoning because they need to know why something's happening you know they're ushering in to a, a new era of um, well, I mean, look what we have going around right now, going on around us right now. The threat of, you know, a nuclear war, and um, we have inflation galore, and we have, you know, uh, still have the coronavirus around, and we still are dealing with all these things, you know. Well, and, and what I've noticed with mine is that it's also they're having to mentally mature a lot, fast. a lot yeah. faster because with. The, with the internet, their exposure to the outside world, you know, outside of their daily community and family is so much more expansive than ours was. And so exposed to a lot more ideas and concepts and informations and realities even, I mean, COVID, war, um, you know, like something will happen on the news and my kids are like, mom, and I'm like, I know, but that's that's how the world goes sometimes you know there's a lot that we need to work on there's a lot that as a global community we need to fix together but it takes time you know and, and the emotional maturity isn't always there to handle the the mental load right you know? but i think you 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 kind of highlighted a thing there that we do need to talk about is global community because we do have a global community now. When we were growing up, it was small neighborhood communities. Mm -hmm. But the moment we had the internet show up, it's a global community. Whether we uh, said so or not, or you know, realized it, but now here we are. Now, all of and a sudden, you can... Yeah, huh? sorry. I was, I was gonna say, all of a sudden, you can touch the other side of the world with a click of a, uh, a button. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So can your children, mm -hmm. you know, you know, so can your children like, uh oh, like here we are, you know, and like I did say that I was very fortunate to have raised my children before cell phones were very common. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I don't I don't envy the parents who have to deal with it now, especially with the technology that's in the hands of each child, because oh, yes. now you're combating a whole world of, of, of things, you know, not just, you know, the neighborhood or the teacher or the school bully. Now you're dealing right. with the whole world. Right. Yeah. And so, I do the tech battle. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to raise children who are much more in tune with their emotional needs and, and, mental health because they're navigating a much larger scale of, of energetics, of stimulation, mm. of emotions, uh, different cultures. Um, you know, we've got so many different cultures just in a melting pot, which is what I love about our world now. But like, you also have to learn how to navigate that and it can be hard, especially it's with somebody yeah. that's on the spectrum. It's amazing being able to reach that far, but yeah, the, the, the reality of learning how to function in a global society makes growing up so much more complex. And then <laughs> add on to that trauma. Yeah. And then we start just And there's a lot of it. Yep, there's a lot of it. So let's jump into, um, I have a website here and I'll link it below. It's from SOS Children's Villages. And out of all the websites that I hit when I was looking for information on this, I liked how they presented their information the best. Um, so symptoms that you're commonly going to see in like a very young child or a preschool child who's dealing with um, trauma. Uh, they're going to cry and scream more than is typical for them. Um, they're going to feel um, under pressure or timid. Um, they're going to develop uh, new fears, including um, just generalized anxiety when separated from a parent or a caregiver. My daughter does that a lot. She panics if she doesn't know where we are, where we're going, or when we're coming back. Um, they're going to experience nightmares. Um, they're going to wet the bed. Um, it could develop uh, bad eating habits, which would which could result in a loss of weight. Um, they're going to start baby talking a lot, and I know I did that constantly when I was a little girl and I felt really insecure or afraid of a reaction from what I was trying to say. I, I remember constantly my parents telling me, Megan, stop baby talking, maybe, you know, stop baby talking. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, how do I change it? You know, but I'd, I'd have to, yeah. Um, the recreate the traumatic experience while playing, I did that. Um, when I was alone with toys. Um, um, I think also we should say that children also emulate what they see. So like if, if a parent's having a tantrum, like the, the child will have a version of a tantrum or maybe even right. emulate completely. Right, and, and it, it's really common to see just emotional meltdowns or explosions, or there's also the reverse where they just kind of implode, they shut down and just start crumbling at the seams. Um, so, like, what, so what, when your kids were, were like preschool baby age, what did you see in them at that point, if any? Uh, I did, um, right around, 
three, I started seeing tantrums that were out of the ordinary in my son. Um, he had some trauma from his father. Both my kids did. Um, it started with him just crying for me at uh, nighttime when it was time to go to bed at dad's. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my ex lived in town. So I would come over and put my son to bed and then leave, of course. But like I would do that to make things smoother. I was trying to, you know, as a mom, you can't hear your child crying for you and like leave them, you know, yeah. it's hard. It's and so I would make sure that they were both okay and, and asleep, you know, and, and knew that mom didn't abandon them. Mm -hmm. But um, my son had a really hard time with separation anxiety um, because he, he, he was just more outward about it. My daughter shut down more and yeah. isolated more. My son had um, big tantrums, big, like, throwing things, throwing his whole body on the ground and just screaming because he really truly didn't know how to express how upset he was with the whole situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember people having comments and they'd be like, oh, he's a brat. And I'm like, you know what? First of all, it's none of your business. And uh, second of all, no, something's, something's up here. And um, so it got to a point where his tantrums were so bad, there was biting, mm -hmm. there was slapping, because he felt so powerless mm -hmm. in the situation because the courts made him go. Like, no matter what I did, they made him go. And I had to have a crying child leave my house. And um, my ex would threaten. He'd say, oh, well, I'm going to bring the sheriff if you don't have them go. Mm -hmm. And so I would always opt for me putting them in the car and trying to figure it out instead of having something even more traumatic happen. Mm -hmm. um, and children going back and forth between parents at a young age is traumatic, whether we like to say it or not. It the really court is. will have a child as young as nine months spend the night with the other parent. And that is just not a healthy back and forth situation for a nine month old. Sorry. Any um, back and forth in any back of forth and forth is gonna be traumatic and confusing. Um and it, I mean it helps when you're able to get along and, and be friends and like genuine, like sure. healthy co parents. But but yeah, that's hard to do, you know, especially if you ended your relationship on bad terms or, or with hurt feelings. I remember going back and forth and like I would, I would, um, you know, I, I, I loved my mom and I wanted to be with my mom, but I also loved my dad and I would get to his house on weekends and be so excited to be there. I was going through the roof <laughs> and then like before I knew it, the time was up and it was time to leave and I wasn't ready to part with him yet. I wanted more time and so I would cry and I would and I would be upset and I and I didn't want to go home and then I'd get home and I'd be upset because I was at home but then at the same time I did want to go home because like the back and forth is exhausting. Like, I mean, my, um, the distance between my parents, it was an hour drive one way, you know, and, and my dad was pretty awesome at keeping us entertained. <laughs> keeping 
keeping us entertained in the car, but it was still hard, you know, like constantly going back and forth, taking stuff back and forth. If you have favorite things, um, and, and it gives a child a sense of not having a safe place to land, um, or a sanctuary. I felt very much like I didn't have my own space in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I worked very hard for my children to have that feeling, but it's still, you know, they still had that feeling of just not feeling like they had their own space. And um, anything where you're going back and forth like that is traumatic. Um, and it's traumatic for everyone involved, but especially the children. So we do have to remember when we're dealing with little ones who are like uh, throwing tantrums like this, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And it's not about them being oppositional. Mm -hmm. It's usually a deeper issue. And the more of the calm we can be in the storm, the better. And I'll give you a practical example. Mm -hmm. You're in the grocery store and your child's having full-blown meltdown because they want you to get something that it's not in the budget. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. Instead of giving them the threat of, if you don't get up, I'm going to do this. Don't do that. This is attention-seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. Or it's just a full meltdown. Either one does not need threats or veiled threats of punishment. Either one, actually, if you ignore or act like everything's okay, and you might look even like a complete psycho, guys, and that's okay. But I've been taught by different coaches, uh, social coaches, that for a child um, and behavioral specialists, that when a child is melting down like that, the last thing you want to do is add to the stimuli by telling them they're being quote unquote bad or wrong. And instead, just be like, okay, well, this is what we're doing now. So um, we're going to go over here now. And if you have to just pick them up and move them over to the cart or whatever. Like, I have okay, left what we're doing. I have left my Walmart cart full of stuff in the middle of the aisle and picked up my littles and, and walked out of the store and went and sat in the car and been like, Okay, here we can freak out. Get it out of your system, go for it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I always had an ongoing joke in my house because I was a single mom. I was like, listen guys, only one person can freak out per day. Okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll cross cross. But not everybody can freak out at the same time. Like you gotta take a turn. And I get one too. <laughs> yeah. And, and there were a couple of times, the first the first couple of times that I did it, my son, like he freaked out a little more for a little bit because he liked the store and I was just like We'll go out to the car. We'll calm down. We don't act like this. And when That's you're it. ready and we can be in the store calmly, then we can go back in the store. <laughs> right. We got to go outside and, and calm down to... first. <laughs> right. And I also did one with my son where we would stop everything mm -hmm. and we would take 10 deep breaths together. Yep. We do that too. Uh, I started and at first um, we really funny on it. I started mm -hmm. teaching uh, Liam 
to do the focus twelve when he gets really ah, um, overstimulated or really upset. I'm like, okay, we're we call it his finger spiral because I'm like, look, you go in a spiral. I'm like, okay, so you got to do your spiral breathing now. And he goes, okay. And he's like, can you remind me how to do it again? And I'm like, yeah, okay. So we'll sit down. And I'm like, okay, ready? One, two. <laughs> but by the time that. we get to twelve, he is usually pretty calm. Now the ADHD factor just does kick in and by about eight or nine, he's starting to rush it. And I'm like, no, no, don't rush it. It's a process. <laughs> I love that child. Um, but you know, it's, it's helpful and it helped my son a lot too. And what we did was we would have a, a hand signal mm -hmm. of when he needed to do it. And then we also adjusted that where he could do that in school. Mm -hmm. So he would have a hand signal for his teachers and they would trust that he's going to a special tree and he's taking 10 deep breaths and then going back. Right. And that was the understanding. And he did that, especially by like fifth or sixth grade, he had it down path. Mm -hmm. And it was really helpful because he would get overstimulated because he had had trauma. And so... He, he couldn't handle sometimes the overstimulation of the classroom. So his teacher had an understanding. And as much as we want our children to follow the rules and be like everybody else, there's no need. There's no need to focus on that. Instead, focus on the fact that your child is choosing to do something much more healing and much better for them than freaking the F out in a classroom, you know, or having anxiety attacks you know um instead it's it's much healthier for them to just step out breathe come back in and it's also a very mature thing to do because we as adults should be doing that instead of freaking out on each other like we should be doing that instead of blowing up or having panic attacks over things that we can't control we should just right. be able to to go take a breather. So it's a very good uh, example for your children if you show them that you yourself do it. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's a good tool for them as well. Yeah, and well, and we have to take into account that like as much as we love our children and we want to protect them from everything and we want the absolute best possible outcome for them, it's not our job to mold them into who we think they should be. They're already who they're supposed to be, you know, just by being here. It's our job to guide them and support them and be there for them while they figure out what their individual purpose in this world is is supposed to be. And we give them our knowledge and, and we teach them the tools that we know and, and we give them our, our faith and our values and whatever else we think that they're gonna need, but in the end, my job is to prepare them to live without me. Yeah, absolutely. I have a kitty friend while we're on screen Hi, here. This bats. Mine was walking on my keyboard earlier, so I banned her because uh, that would go badly with a live recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one, she, she likes to make biscuits. But I've got Siren crashed out in, in my recliner. She pulled the blanket down and, and made herself real comfortable over there. So. <laughs> yeah, this one's a, a lover. She's Aww. very sweet. All right, so young children, uh, elementary school age. So it starts to look a little bit different as they get older. So um, 
you know, instead of crying and, and, and screaming, it, it's going to look more like feeling, quiet feelings of shame and guilt, um, uh, fear and anxiety, um, being clingy with the adults they trust, like a parent or a teacher, um, having trouble sleeping, having difficulty concentration, co concentration, concentrating. <laughs> Because, you know, it's scientifically proven that when emotions go high, cognition comes down. Like, our ability to think is literally impaired until we can get through the emotions. Especially if they're really strong. Um, and with children, you know, they don't have as much experience with that as an adult person does, so it takes them longer to re-regulate. Um, uh, worrying excessively about their own safety or the safety of others. Um, startling easily, uh, repeatedly telling people about the traumatic experience, and that's okay. Like, I know in my house, my kids can talk about their trauma anytime they want to, and, um, well, here, let me finish this list and then I'll go back into that. Um, feeling afraid that the traumatic experience will happen again, um, feeling upset by minor injuries like bumps or bruises or, um, declines in school performance. Um, so my daughter, um, you know, my daughter, she talks about it a lot, um, her, her trauma, her experiences, it really affected her. She deals, um, she, she, she deals with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear of separation. Her daddy is her safe spot, man. And <laughs> when I, when I'm home, when dad's home, I know that mom's chopped liver. Like, I'm just like, nope, she's daddy's for the next two days, you know? But that's because he was the one constant in, in, in her life when everything was happening. Daddy was always there. Daddy was always safe. And she relies on that. Um, but like when, when our nine-year-old started ABA therapy, um, you know, we, we have therapists coming into the house now, working with him and working with us. Um, and, and, and I had to sit down and, and tell them, like, you know, in our first meeting, I was like, just so you know, <laughs> this is going to come up. Once she gets comfortable with you, she will share with you, you know, her experiences and, and her feelings. She talks about it a lot and we let her, because as long as she's talking about it out loud, we know what's going on in her head. We know where she's at. We can we can guide her, even though it hurts and it's uncomfortable to listen to because you never want to hear about, you know, the the experiences that are that traumatizing to your child because you, you just don't want them, that for them. But, you know, being able to talk about it, and she doesn't as much anymore. With select people, she will. With her safe people, she'll talk about it whenever she needs to. But when she was in, like, first and second grade, sometimes it was all she would talk about. And a lot of that was because it was still actively happening. But I had to sit down and let the ABA therapist know it's, it's under control. There are safety measures in place. CPS reports are made whenever necessary. You know, like, it just, it, you're going to hear it. And I know you're mandated reporters, so if you're uncomfortable with it, you know, if she springs it on you, let me know and I can talk to her. But they were really awesome about it because they were like, no, you know, as long as you're fine with it, she can talk to us about whatever she wants. And I was like, okay, you know, thank you. It, she, she feels safe when people listen. And you know what? Before I was in the realm of, of the healing arts and also um, 
in the realm of, of getting help for my traumas, I really felt uncomfortable with people who were so honest about their traumas. Mm -hmm. And I, because I, I was masking still. I was too. And I was really I, uncomfortable I, hearing those stories for a long time. And so like, when we ask ourselves, when we see ourselves getting uncomfortable, we need to ask ourselves what part of somebody else speaking their truth is making me uncomfortable. Like why, why? Um, because I really feel like we get down to a truth at the bottom there. Like, why am I so upset with this? And for me, the answer was I associated shame with what had happened to me. I associated fault of my own with what happened to me. And when we stop doing that and we realize that this happens to a lot of people and it's not their fault and we truly get to the bottom where we can love ourselves, forgive ourselves and know it's not our fault, that's when we can understand and see others' truth and see others' uh, plights. Mm -hmm. And be able to come from a humble space and and say, you know, I see you in your struggle. Let's let's, you know, see what we can do about this. And you know, like it's uncomfortable to listen to my story. <laughs> like I talk about it in therapy every week. I have re-experience it those are fun I'm writing about it you know and it's still uncomfortable to hear my own story because a lot of those a, a lot of those feelings the guilt and the shame and the self-blame and the taking on responsibility like I truly did believe it was all my fault I felt that there was something just so screwed up with me that this was just the life that I had been dealt and the first time that I got into group and told my story in as much you know as I could, like, having someone argue with me about it not being my fault. Because even as I was telling my story, I was taking the responsibility, oh, I did this, and, and you know, this is what happened because I did this. And, and having my clinician going, how old were you? And I was like, 13, 14, you know, or whatever, whatever age it was, the event that I was talking about. And he was like, did you know better at the time? And I was like, well, I should have. And he's like, no, you were a child. You were being victimized. You were being abused. Any decision that you made to protect yourself and survive through extraordinary circumstances, you need to let go of the guilt for that right now. And he's like, and you don't need it anymore anyways because you're not there anymore. And so, you know, I, I think that that's the opportunity that we give our children when we do let them talk about it. And I take the opportunity every chance I get to reaffirm for them, you did nothing wrong. You were the child. And that's so important for children who have trauma to hear and learn is... Um, believe me and believe the the people who have written the books that in fact I'll list some of them because they're so great there's some um people that I know uh that have suggested books to me um psychologists and stuff like child psychologists and they gave me some good books and I'll put them in let's link them in thing. the episode yeah and um um 
you know, your child definitely is dealing with a lot more shame and self-blame than you even realize, especially closer to the teenage years that they have trauma. Um, and it can look like bravado or ego on them mm-hmm. or like they don't need you, hyper-independence, you know. Um, yes, there is some of, uh, there's independence with a teenager, mm-hmm. but there's also hyper-independence. And that's because they don't want anybody to fuss over them because they have trauma. Because with, to them, if somebody does something for them, their strings attached or they owe you or something like that because their their thoughts are skewed because they've been harmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll think, oh, it's my fault that I need this. I shouldn't need anybody or anything. You know? If I have to ask for something, I'm going to owe them something and that leaves an opportunity for me to get hurt again because I don't right. know what they're going to ask of me. Right, right. So leaving communication open with our teens is huge. And not just leaving it, but being active with it, seeking them out, even when they don't want anything to do with you. Like just showing them, hey, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. And I had a time where my child had run away from home. He was 16. Mm -hmm. Um, And he decided to live with grandparents. Mm-hmm. And there was about six months where he wasn't talking to me. And during that time, instead of me getting angry with him, I decided that every week I would text him. And it wouldn't be confrontational or anything like that. It would be, hey, I love you. I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. And for a time I didn't receive anything back or anything like that. And I had found out that he had blocked my phone number. Mm-hmm. And when he turned it back on when he was ready, he saw that I hadn't given up on him. Like he had really thought, he thought my mom gave up on me. She doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. But instead he saw, oh wait, every Sunday this woman texted me mm-hmm. without fail. And like, even though my heart was breaking that my child wasn't with me, I let him know that through thick and thin, through hellfire, I'm here and I'm not going anyplace. And he can be angry, as angry as he needs to be at me for all the things he experienced, but I'm still here and I'm still going to love him. Mm -hmm. And... He told me later that that made a huge difference to him to just know that I hadn't given up. Well, and that's, um, it's a good point too, because when you are the safe person, they will take it out on you. They will. Oh gosh. Yes. They will, you know, make you the bad guy and take out all all the anger and the resentment and the, and, and the everything else. Like it's going to get fired at you. And, and, and sometimes it's a test. Are you going to walk away if I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's absolutely a test. Um, I, went that, I went through that with, uh, with my 13 year old for a good, um, good several months. He was, he was just so angry and so full of rage and, and pain. And it, it did like I was the target and I like, as hard as it was, you know, now I didn't, you know, I didn't let it go far. I was like, you know, I always tell my kids, it's okay for you to be angry with me 
it's okay for you to be frustrated with me. It's okay for you to feel like you hate my guts, but we don't tell each other that we hate each other because we really right. don't, and that's hurtful, you know? Right. So I, I, I kept boundaries there, you know, but I was like, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel like you hate me. It's okay for you to feel like you don't want to talk to me right now, you know? <laughs> that's not, it's not going to bother me. I'm not going anywhere, but, um, you know, and, and after a while, it did stop because he did see that I really meant it. Like it didn't matter what he threw at me. I would be, you know, okay, you need some time. That's cool. Come talk to me later, you know, and I would walk away and give him his space, but I would check in on him. You need anything to eat? Do you need anything to drink? Are you okay? You know? And he'd just be like, yeah, I'm fine. And, and I, I do make it a point at least once a week to check in with each of them. Like, you know, Hey, where are you at? Have you had anything that you've been struggling with? Is there, you know, anything that you want to talk about that you need help with? Just, you know, where are we at? And I also will ask them, how can I do better? How can I meet your needs better? You know, is there something that you need from me that I'm not giving you? And, and they're honest about it. You know, there's been times where they've been like, yeah, you know, I really would prefer this, you know, or, and, and I've been like, okay, so, um, with, you know, sometimes it's, it's delayed. Like, they're like, can we go out, you know, and like watch a movie, just you and I? And I'm like, yes, we can, but you have to give me some time to plan it and budget for it. <laughs> you know? But, but you know what? That's so important, too. Quality time is, is so important. And um, I do that with my adult children still. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, is there anything you need from me? Do you want, you know, would you like to hang out with me or do this or that? And I mean, they're at an age where they, you know, they love their mom, but they also have their lives. Yeah. But like, I let them know that I'm always the safe place to land no yeah. matter what. And that really helps, especially a child with trauma trying to navigate the world. Mm -hmm. And so um. if to continually show them that we're a safe spot to land, they're going to come back to you and they're going to communicate with you and be like, hey, mom or dad, or, you know, I need this, this, and this, you know? And yeah. it's excellent because I came from a place with my son where he wasn't talking to me. Mm -hmm. But now, six, seven years later, six years later, we now have a fabulous relationship mm -hmm. due to therapy mm -hmm. together and separately. Mm -hmm. Time, healthy boundaries and love. Yeah. And lots of communication, mm -hmm. lots and lots and lots. And myself holding space for him to tell me what happened to him, how he felt at the time, how he feels now and anything else he wants to bring to me. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I have asked my children for forgiveness for things that I continued in my cycle because I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I truly didn't know these things, these dysfunctional things were affecting us. And I had to learn those things. I had to stop the cycle. Yeah. And like, it, it didn't stop until my children were adults, you know, like, because I was already in it. I grew up in the cycle, you know, so I've asked them, like, please forgive me for this because I love you. And I didn't realize that I had continued this dysfunction. 
And, you know, having humility and the, them seeing that their parent is human really helps, mm-hmm. you know, because then they see, oh, this person is not on a pedestal and so much better than me and has it all figured out, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I'll go back and apologize to them. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm not perfect 100% of the mom, or 100% of the mom. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. My words get mixed up. Ah, okay. Um, 100% of the time. <laughs> I mean, every parent loses their cool, right? But, like, you know, on on the occasions that I have, you know, like, I've gone back to them when I've had a chance to step away and cool off and really think through how I handled the situation and and, and the interaction between me and them, you know. And I've gone back and I've sat down on the edge of their beds and I've said, you know, I really screwed that up, guys. What I was trying to teach you was okay but the way i handled it that was not okay the message got distorted so that they couldn't receive it yeah and and then they're like you know it's okay mom we can be butts you know i'm like well everybody can be a butt that's you know it's family that comes with being a human you know even though we're parent and child and grandparent and like you know we've got seven very different personalities living in the same house and even when you love each other incredibly much it's hard when personality and ways of doing things clash and (laughs) i told them i was like buddy we're gonna fight we're gonna fight we're gonna get mad at each other we're gonna you know but you know what matters is how we handle it i agree i agree and um Megan, is there anything else um, from that paper that you felt was really um, a good technique other than anything we've talked about? Is there something specific that we're missing? There maybe? is a list of um, there is a list of uh, recommendations um, to help strengthen your parent child relationship so that they're able to open up to you and trust you more. Um, Oops, I got a text message. (laughs) I forgot to turn my phone off. (laughs) Um, So therapy, of course, is is very recommended. Anytime that there's 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 trauma going on, you wanna you wanna find a good therapist who knows what they're dealing with, and and um, pediatric therapists are can be an amazing resource. there's also, um, they talk about engaging in, in play therapy with like babies and toddlers, letting them um, communicate their feelings and tell their stories through their toys, you know, or maybe using their toys to act out a scene or a message that you're trying to get across um, to them because, you know, little kids, they understand stories like that. They tell stories through their toys, so they'll understand stories told through toys. That's why Toy Story was such a phenomenal hit. I mean, you know. Right. Um, protecting your child and making sure they feel protected because there's a big difference between you feeling that they are protected and them feeling safe and protected as individuals. Um, I think one of the biggest things, and I've been asked this question before, um, you know, 
what what did you want them to do? And I was like, I, I needed them to dig deeper because the surface level answers and the, di you know, I got misdiagnosed. I had, um, you know, was accused of being crazy and, and having behavioral problems by family members and close adults. And if somebody would have dug deeper, that mm -hmm. would have helped because I didn't know how to explain what was going on, you know? So, I agree. I agree. Um, talking with your child in a way that makes them feel heard, appreciated, and loved. Because, you know, yeah, if, if they're not feeling like you're listening or believing them or, or, or taking what they're saying seriously when they make themselves vulnerable and they approach you and they, and they spill their guts, if you, if you react to them negatively, that trust is gone. You've just become an unsafe person. And that's the exact opposite of what you want. Um, being affectionate, nurturing, and comforting to, um, you know, an appropriate degree that will be comfortable for the child. Like, um, depending on what's happened, you know, uh, re respect their physical boundaries. Like, if they don't want to hug, if they don't want to kiss, you know, if they don't want to give a kiss, if they don't want to hug, if they don't want to sit on someone's lap, there's probably a reason that they don't want that contact and they're trying to physically shield themselves. So let them have that. Don't force them. Oh, absolutely. Respect their their uh, needs for their body. Mm -hmm. And if they feel like they don't want to hug somebody or something, definitely honor that. Um, I grew up in, in a situation where it was like, no, go hug so-and-so. No, no, a nice girl does this, you know, because it was a, a old uh, generation, you know, like my, my father was born in the 40s, you know, so like yeah. there's different, there's different values there. And my grandparents were born in the 20s, you know, so they grew up during I, the Depression. Yeah. I remember yeah, they, being they, a young kid. It wasn't my kid. body, myself, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember being a young kid, and 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 um, you know, it was it was just kind of an expectation. You give everybody a, a hug and a kiss before you leave, and like when that was my choice, it wasn't threatening to me. But when I was told, you know, go give your grandparents a hug, or go give your go give your aunt a hug, or oh, there was this one time I met. A, a family member and he, he was an elderly gentleman and I can't remember what um, I can't remember what he had some kind of a disability um, going on and I think I was anywhere from like 8 to 10 or something so my molest was already in, in, in full swing and, and I was told to hug him before he left and I was anxious and nervous and I and I and I didn't want to be hugged and like I think that they thought that I didn't want to hug him because he was in a wheelchair and that wasn't what bothered me at all but I was forced to give him a hug before I left the house and was allowed to say goodbye to everyone and that was hugely traumatizing for me because oh, yeah. I was like no <laughs> I don't want to be touched. I'm touched way too much, you know. So. Yeah, um, it's just it's just not okay. And like that's something that I learned was like if my children didn't want to hug someone or or anything like that, I didn't make them. I I felt like it was very important for them to feel like their body was their own. 
Um, and yet that still didn't stop some of the traumas that did happen to them, you know, Mm -hmm. but as parents, we can do our best, you know? Yeah. And it, you know, I, I think back on the experiences growing up as a child with trauma and, and I, with, with my adult perspective and the perspective that I have now from, you know, being a parent myself and making my own mistakes. I know my parents did the best that they know how to do, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like knowing that your parents did the best that they knew how to do and, and loving and honoring them for that doesn't mean that you have to ignore the fact that their choices still hurt you or their choices still harmed you or their lack of action still harmed you whatever it was you know and and that's something that can only be worked out between the two of you with both of you being willing to hear and be compassionate for the other person's story and it's hard but it can you know, it can be done when both parties are willing to, to dive deep and be vulnerable with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think we did a great job with this one. (laughs) I think we covered a lot and um, I think, uh, you know, honestly, I think this subcat, I think this list of like, um, different ways of strengthening your relationship with your child some of these individual bullet points would just make great episodes in and of themselves like there's a lot of really good ones here we could spend a lot we could spend a lot of time going over this we could spend a lot of time in this area Uh, yeah for sure uh but definitely uh i will uh send you the links so you can share those of the books that have helped tremendously and i'll share Um, the web page that i was pulling off of too it's got some great yes yes and um you know any questions you might have for us please leave below on the post and we would love to get back to you about any of it we're yeah any transparent any comments, any questions about what we talked about or about, you know, ourselves and our work and, and what we do individually and where to find our information. We're both pretty responsive. We both will get back to your messages. Um, also, if you have suggestions for a topic that you'd like to hear us cover, please put it in the comments. We'd love to do that as well. Um, and, uh, I mean, other than that, share. <laughs> if you have a friend or a family member that you think would really benefit from anything we were chatting about today, please, please share. I mean, that's the whole reason we're doing this is to try and get information cool. out that we've learned that has been really life changing. So, on in multiple I mean, we, areas, we not, just, not just trauma. <laughs> right, but we we personally have gone through the trauma and we survived and now we're thriving. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's why we're here is to show everybody that. And I feel it can very be hum- done. <laughs> yeah, it can be done. But I also I feel very humbled to be able to share this because there were times on my path where I thought I was at the absolute worst position and couldn't even help myself or my children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important part is to understand that even though you might be at the bottom of the well and you're dealing with so many hard 
major things, please know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope. There is so much to be optimistic about. And you're and not alone. To live in survival mode. We can thrive even after horrific abuse traumas. We can still thrive. We can still make it happen. And I think that's beautiful. And that's why we're here. <laughs> and you're not alone. There are so many of us out here and so many that I've met just since I started really researching and, and learning and and healing, you know, myself. It, it we're, we're like a super secret community. <laughs> come join us. We're trying to come out of the closet. <laughs> we don't want to be secret anymore. <laughs> But that's the whole thing, the transparency, mm -hmm. so that you can see. And, um, you know, I think it might even behoove us at some time to have one of my adult children on to share uh, what they experienced and what they went through. So you could see it from the eyes of a young person. Yeah. Uh, has come out of it, you know. And um, my son is on the other side. He still has struggles, but he's amazing. He's thriving. And, and that child went from some major, major traumas to where he is now. And I'm, I'm so proud of all my kids, but uh, he definitely shows himself as an example to others and to his siblings too. He's amazing. Um, I'm so proud yep. of him. He's yeah. so funny. I saw him the weekend before last and I was like, there's my oldest. He goes, hi mom. <laughs> He's a good kid. Um, and you know, it takes a village and that's the other thing too. When you're raising children with trauma, find your village, find your people, find your tribe, because especially if you're a single parent, mm -hmm. um, being you gotta have a support system and they have to have a support system and they're going to look to you to see who the safe people are. Absolutely. They're going like, to trust you with that. Yeah, Megan and I were very fortunate to find each other and to find that sisterhood and to help us help each other raise our children. And, you know, I've always said as a single mom, like, where, where are our people? Where's our tribe? Like, you know, when you came along, it was, it was beautiful. And, and, and so many more people need that. My current partner raised his child by himself and did not have a community, did not have the support that somebody needs. And like, did it on his own and while he did do it and it, it's very hard like it's still like the child needed community as much as the parent did oh yeah you know so we all need it together so that we can feel like we're not the oddballs out which we aren't you my know my kids like, have so many adopted honorary aunties and uncles like and they don't even differentiate they're just like you're you're clan all right <laughs> yay yeah exactly and you know it's an excellent thing it's a good thing for children to feel that we need more community mm -hmm. um so on that like uh, i just want to well, you guys, thank you for joining in with us, and thank you for taking the time with us. And Megan's gonna close out with a card pool. Yeah. From my my affirmation cards, I really like them. Yeah. I pull one for myself every day, or well, most days. My goal is every day. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. 
my mind is open to new experiences that will transform my life. You gotta step Ooh, out of the comfort zone. I like that one. You gotta you step know out of perfect. the comfort zone. You gotta step out of what you know, recognize what's working, what's not, and be willing to pivot and make changes. Otherwise, you get stuck. And that's not a fun place to be. And that's an awfully good card for our uh, Aries full moon we had last time. So, with that, I will say namaste, brothers and sisters. I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for attending this with us. Yep, we will be back next week live once again, and we'll put up some announcements. So stay tuned, and we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>